0: Welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast dedicated to teaching, sharing, and learning the game. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Steve Kramer of Kramer Basketball and the Coach's Edge. And today we have a treat for you. JP Nirvan of Thrive On Challenge, a trusted consultant to coaches around the world, experienced coaching internationally and in the US, speaks with us on how we can help eliminate playing time issues with our team. If you coach, you know that this is an issue, something that we really need to think about and spend some time on, and he shares some great thoughts and advice for us. I know I became better from my time with JP. Before we get into the episode, I want to remind you, our upcoming Coach's Edge mini clinic is this Saturday, March 6th, myself and A.J. Burton of Southern Maine Community College We'll be speaking on player development and creating scouting reports, 9.30 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. The link is in the description below. We would love to have you register and join us. You can always hit me up if you have any questions, contact at KramerBasketball.com. Big thank you to JP for spending some time with us and the Coach's Edge and all of our listeners. Make sure that you give him a follow. He has some great stuff on Twitter especially. Let's get after it. like To give a warm Coach's Edge welcome to Coach JP Nurbin of Thrive on Challenge. Coach, thanks for taking the time to be on the Coach's Edge podcast.
1: I'll, I'm really excited at the opportunity to hop on here and uh, dive into some pressing issues I know for many coaches. You know,
0: yeah, playing time is, you know, if you've coached basketball, this has been something that you've probably had some sleepless nights uh, thinking about, no question about it. So I'm excited to dig in and, and learn from you in this area. Um, but before we do that, could you introduce yourself and share a little bit of your background?
1: Yeah, man, I'll just, you know do it pretty briefly, because uh, it's the less impressive part, I guess, of or valuable part. But yeah, you know, I grew up in South Carolina, not too far from you, you know, was fortunate to walk on at the University of South Carolina for a season there. And um, life took me over to Ireland. I'm just a, a random Long story for another day. Uh, I ended up coaching, got my start in coaching in Ireland, and had a really unique experience there of coaching for six years. And in that six years, I coached over 36 different teams. Um, and that's because in there, in the European system with clubs and stuff, you might practice two, three times a week. So still, it was a lot of seasons at the same time. And I was coaching predominantly uh my time there youth youth basketball at the underage under eighteens under 20s boys but i ran schools programs and i also had a short stint as an interim coach uh at the semi-professional uh, level for men's i was um hired after they kind of fired their serbian coach in the season i kind of tanked so i'd also coached a women's uh division one college team over there and, and was fortunate to just coach some great players that wasn't a good coach but we won a national championship um just because we had great players um trust me it was not because of my exceptional coaching but um yes i mean i was really got my my starting coaching there but in a weird twist that story i met my wife now wife i met her um in a pub there in Ireland. And uh, she was from America though. So she brought me back home. So I ended up getting in, in uh, coaching uh, basketball in Tennessee, uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee for five seasons, um, at the high school level there and running some academies and camps. And then uh, went through a real personal transformation. You know, I'd always really wanted to be intentional about building character. And I valued high standards and accountability, not just because I wanted to have a successful program that was important to me, and I knew culture mattered, and I knew character mattered, but I also wanted to do it you know, the right way because I wanted to impact kids' lives. But uh, the reality was, I, I kind of went through an experience of working with a guy named Jamie Gilbert. And he's a mentor to me, and um, he really helped me make a change first off in my own coaching uh, so that I could actually start to realize that vision for impacting lives and having a really great team culture that people enjoyed. Uh, being a part of, and it was high performing. And so that set me off on a journey, and that journey has led me here. And for the last five years, I, uh, as my family has been moving around really the world now, because I'm living back in Ireland, um, I've been working with teams uh, predominantly at the high school and collegiate level, uh, Division three, Division two, Division I. Um, and, you know, probably two-thirds of my clients are, are, are basketball, but I have uh, quite a few in football, volleyball, soccer, hockey, Uh, rugby uh, and I work with them on building their culture and that's what I've been doing and wrote a book calling up Um, and uh, yeah it's uh, it's been quite the journey and um, you know I just actually got back into coaching this year in Ireland I was was, because of COVID I wasn't able to travel and so a local pro team here offered me a job uh, to coach the program you know their, their team there um however after two months our season was canceled so it was a it was good to get back into and i really really did enjoy it i love hearing people's story and their
0: background everyone is so unique so i just get a kick out of asking people just how they got into coaching what's led them to where they are today man you have a very unique story as well you mentioned jamie gilbert is probably one of my favorite authors burn your goals is one of my favorite favorite books um fantastic stuff and you really help as you mentioned programs work on that culture piece now that's a that's a buzzword that gets thrown around you know as much as any word in basketball and with this subject that we're talking about with the challenge of playing time i mean if you want to eliminate that having a strong culture is going to be directly tied into that so you help programs improve their culture explain how this is related to the subject we're going to talk about today.
1: Well, I think playing time can be a culture killer, and um, because you know when it comes down to it, um, it players see their value, parents see their kids' value in the amount of minutes they play and the points they score um, most directly with that opportunity to get out on the court and play. And so, when players are disgruntled over playing time, when parents are disgruntled over playing time, um, that can really start to affect everyone around them just because of uh, their response, their attitude towards that. So we have to be really proactive as coaches to address many things. One is that underlying deeper issue, which is that your value doesn't come from the amount of minutes you play or the points you score. It comes from something else, and we have to address that and then secondly, we've got to make sure they feel valued. Uh, that's really important, you know, is, uh, you know it's, it's so funny. I was talking to one of my uncles about uh, two years ago. I was traveling around and I was up in Wisconsin I was doing a few uh, workshops with some teams and, and watching some practices. And I happened to meet up with my uncle who, who's uh, my cousin, his, his son had been out of sports for 20 years. And it was just interesting. He just brought it up about how this coach had ruined his his son's experience. He was the best quarterback and they dropped him the senior year. And like, he, he kind of had this, you know, went on this rant and it's just amazing how playing time and the issues and how, it, like, it's such a hot topic. It hung with someone for 20 years. I know my brother still ups, is upset about his lack of playing time, his junior and senior year in high school. I mean, people, it's it's really really important to people. So it it can be a culture killer, um, in so many ways. Absolutely. What, what
0: are some of the ways, and you mentioned a few already, but what are some of the different ways that playing time is so much of a challenge for the coach, for the player and for the parent?
1: Well, you know, obviously the one is that they Like I said, those were the kind of the core issues. But when when I've I've worked with a lot of programs at a lot of different levels, and we keep seeing in our surveys because I when I would come in and work with you know I might be working with a coach, and then if they're fortunate enough to have the resources to bring me in, I'll come in and do kind of a culture assessment. And even the ones that don't come in, we we often send out Google Forms surveys to players, to parents, uh, to people in the community to get. You know, what's going on here? What do people think of this program? What's the experience like? What do people enjoy about it? What don't they enjoy about it? What, you know, what things do they want to see changed? And and just consistently playing time is the thing that people are complaining about. But what specifically? Well, oftentimes the things that are stated, now we talked earlier about some of the core issues, but what, what the feedback is coming is that, first off, that there's a lack of transparency around how decisions are made. They don't, they don't know how decisions are made. So we just want to know why. You know, why didn't he get to play? Why didn't I get to play? Uh, so that's one of them. Another big one is that um, there was a miscommunication. Oh, you, you know, like we thought his role would, would have been more significant. So, you know, like a lot of these things come down to communication. And then the other thing is they just have a hard time adjusting. Like you go from, you know, high school, to division one, you could be the best player in the frigging city. You go play for your division one team and all of a sudden you're the bottom of the barrel. You know, if you go from middle school to high school, you go from JV to varsity. Like every time you level up, you become, you know, less good, you're less talented. There's more people that are better than you. And so people have a really hard time, I think also with that, of accepting that fact that, they are not uh, as good as they w- used to be. You know, they dominated in middle school, and now they're and now they're just uh, on the bench. So it's just a really hard thing to manage some of those expectations. So would
0: you say that expectations are probably the biggest frustration among parents or coaches, or is there there are other ones
1: as well? I, I would say the lack of communication is the, probably the number one most cited thing. No someone could say, well, we just don't know, but sometimes they're just not accepting the fact that they had these expectations that their their son or their daughter would play more or the kid came in and, you know, he or she thought they would play more. So I think the expectations would also really, really weigh in on that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What are, when I emailed you, let's see, now this is kind of, kind of funny because we, I had been on Twitter, and you know how when you're on Twitter, sometimes it will say somebody that you follow liked a post. So that's how I found you. Somebody that I follow liked your post, and it said you were giving out a free PDF on why playing time is so challenging, ways that, you know, five ways that we can help to eliminate eliminate some of those issues within our team. So I was like, this is a this is a great subject because every coach that I know struggles with, this issue, I was like, I got to follow this guy. I got to send him an email. And then we'd actually have had a common connection or two uh, within there of some other people that we know, which is kind of funny, but you really dig deep into five main issues that we can try to go about eliminating. And a lot of that is based on communication. So let's dig into some of that.
1: Yeah. And I think so what I, what you're referring to is just kind of five different strategies. And these five strategies really fit within a system, you know. I, I'm a big what I call systems guy. Like I think strategies are great, but they need to fit in within the system of how we do things, you know? Like even if you think about in basketball, like you may have different offensive strategies, you may have certain plays, but hopefully it all fits within certain system and approach. And so within the system that we're trying to really address many of these issues and we only mentioned a few of them uh, earlier but at the core of it we have to first clearly communicate how we determine playing time secondly we have to um really make sure that we're consistently communicating that throughout the season um and then we need to uh, reinforce that and support those individuals. Like, like that's, those are kind of like, what I would say like really the, the three phases of it. So early on when it comes to determining playing time, like how is it determined? I would, most of the coaches that I, I talk to struggle to really answer that in a clear and concise manner when I ask them. And if I ask their staff, they communicate and they come at it from a different perspective. So if, if a coach can't clearly communicate how we decide playing time and the staff is not on the same page there, you know there's gonna be confusion when it comes to everybody else. And just like any, i give you two examples why this is a problem. One example, I have a coach and I, you know, I really encouraged that him and his parent workshop to communicate how we determine playing time. And this is about three, four years ago. This is why I started saying, we got a problem here because I remember watching his presentation to the parents and it was like playing time and, and it was equals. And there was like character, hard work, attitude, you know, shooting percentage. Like it was like this m- big difficult equation. I'm like, well, nobody really understands the process. And that doesn't make any sense to anything, you know, to people. And uh, so that's one, one example. Then I look at like great companies, great cultures they're really intentional about communicating the rewards or their, their, their payments, uh, how they pay their employees. For instance, my wife now works for, for Google uh, at their European headquarters. And one of the things that they spent hours with them this year on, hours in, in workshops, was explaining how they determine their pay and how they determine their bonuses. Like they were, and they were open here, ask us any questions. And there's no perfect system in any corporation, you know, of performance evaluation. There's no, obviously not within the education system, not within businesses, and there's no perfect system in coaching either, but they were so transparent on the process and they were open to feedback and questions and issues being raised. Do we do anything like that in coaching? No. So we had to be super, super clear, which means first off, I need to be clear how do I determine playing time? And my staff needs to be really clear on that. We all need to be on the same page of what we value first off, and then how we will come to that that decision on where people fall in line as far as that roster. Having a value, being clear
0: and open, as you mentioned with your wife, I love the it, it's a two-way street. It's an actual conversation that they're having with Google about how they get paid. And how often as coaches do we not have that two-way line of communication? So often it's us speaking to the players and then that's it. that That's what happens. And that's not how you build any strong relationship or a foundation of trust. Imagine doing that in your marriage. How's that going to go? right?
1: <laughs> not, yeah. not, not that great. Um, so well, uh, I add one thing that too, and one of the other, so often as coaches, we just say, Hey, you've got to be about the team, you know, but these kids are working their butts off. All, all, all the, a lot of them have over the, over a long period of time, their parents have invested. And honestly, I'm all about transformational coaching, but we live in a transactional world. So people are going to come to us from the, from the mindset of, well, if I work hard, or if I've invested time on the off season, or if I've been playing basketball all my life, I need to get something in return for all that. Um, and we do, we, 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 we tell them, well, hey, we value hard work here. We value great teammates. But then we play not the best teammate and not the hardest worker. We play the best player, right? Right. you know? And, and so we, and we struggle to communicate that. We do value hard work and teammate, but not enough to that we're going to bench our best player in many cases. So- we've either got to bench our best, start benching our best players and, and live up to those values that we talk about, or we got to stop preaching those things. Or one of the big things that I advocate is talking about what we call simultaneous thresholds. And, and the first threshold, and this is, I just think this, I'm sharing this because I think a lot of coaches know this. They just struggle to communicate this. And that is, we do value hard work and great being a great teammate. And that is the first threshold. It is our cultural standards. If you want to be a part of this program, this team, you have to meet those standards. Now, that's a whole other conversation of we have to be better as coaches of holding them to these non-negotiables, these standards within our program. But once you have met the minimum standards, and sometimes we call it the ABCs, and it could be academic, behavioral, and cultural. But once you've met the ABCs, you know, you're showing up to practice, you're having an acceptable attitude, acceptable effort, and we're not having to kick you out of practice and all that stuff. Okay, once you've met that, then you've earned what my what my friend and uh, co-host on our podcast, Nate Sanderson says, you've earned a ticket into the park. You're in the park, man. You're at, you're at the theme park, you know? But to ride the rides, it's about, you have to be so tall is what he always says. Like it comes down to performance. That's the second threshold is we're looking at these things. So do you meet our minimum standards first? And secondly, okay, now this is what we're looking at when it comes to performance. We need great shooters in our program. We need great ball handler here, you know? So you gotta be able to kind of communicate those things. because I think those things exist almost in every program.
0: I love that. I mean,
1: having met a standard
0: essentially gets you in the door, right? But it's just that it's getting you in the door. It's not <laughs> giving you 30 out of the 40 minutes in a game, or whatever that that might be. It's it's essentially okay. You're on the team. If it's if it's basketball that we're talking about, um, I love that. You mentioned five ways that we can start to eliminate some of the playing time issues on a team, and one of those I thought was they were all fantastic. And I encourage all of our listeners to. Uh, get a hold of JP, make sure you get his, his PDF. One of those things was pre-competition check-in, which I thought was great. Could you dig into that a little bit?
1: Yeah. The pre-competition check-in is a great one. And that would be in our system. We would consider that under the, the, the communication. So there's like clearly communicating how we determine playing time. Then there is about consistently communicating it throughout the season. This is important. Some of my coaches do this every game. A lot of my coaches would do this uh, whenever they sense a big change. You know, like if you've been starting the same people, like, you know, game to game, and there's not a big change. No biggie. Uh, some people have a lot of movement. Now, ideally, I would love to be on a team with a lot of movement, you know, where the players are constantly moving in and out of the starting five. It just depends. But what we do here is we send out a Google form, or you can just even text to your players and just say, hey, the first question, how many minutes do you expect to play out of 40? Um, There's many other questions. We always like to add a second question and it could be like, Hey, can you describe your role in tonight's game? Or it could be, what's going to be the biggest challenge for you? Or what are you most excited about? You know, a lot of those things. There could be how many, but it's always how many minutes do you expect to play? Sometimes you might even throw in how many minutes do you think you should play? You know, but the core question is expect because we're trying to deal with the emotion. Let me explain here. If you say you're going to play 30 minutes, you expect to play 30 minutes, but I'm the coach and I only have you down for 10. I have a problem. Here's my problem. You're going to be sitting on there going, what the heck? Why am I not going in? Why am I playing? And you're going to have an emotional response because your expectations weren't met. And like, that's how generally, like there's no way for you to not feel that way. But often as a coach, I haven't fixed this expectation. My player has an emotional reaction. I go, God, he's so selfish, right? That's my reaction. Like maybe it is a selfish reaction, whatever. I'm not gonna, but that it doesn't matter. That's the way you feel. And your feelings are now impacting my team. Your feelings are also impacting your performance when you step on the court because you're pissed off, you're not feeling good, you're, you're focused on the lack of minutes. So it just completely, it destroys your culture on that bench and it also hurts your player's performance. So if you have 39 have 10, I go, boy, I gotta get with him and we have to have a quick chat. And I, I had this, even just this season, one of my players, um, you know, she e- expressed that she was thinking that she was gonna play like 25 minutes. I was like, we need to have a quick chat. This is 24 hours before the game. And I was like, you know, set up a call with her. We hopped on, you know, what's that video call? And I said, listen, just going have to have a conversation here. Like, why do you why are you expecting that many minutes? Um, you know, wh- when you're on the court, how do you think you help us? When you're not, when you're on the court, how do you think you hurt us? Okay, yeah. Well, here's the thing. I've got you seventh on the roster and this is why. And, and here's the thing. You're doing great things, but sixth, Player six, five, and four, who you're trying to fight for minutes, they're just playing better than you are right now. And that's just the reality. So it, and she's was pissed off. And she told me this after the game she was pissed off, but she said, you know what? By the time I got to the game, I said, all right, I'm going to focus on what I can control. And her attitude was on point, but she needed time to get her mind right you know, like to, to, to focus on what you could control, but we don't give our players that. So you're addressing, you're putting out fires before they start to really get big on your team. And uh, you're honestly, you're showing your players respect when you do this, because you have failed in many cases to communicate what their position, their role, their minutes, or for some reason, they have misinterpreted certain things that you've communicated.
0: That's fantastic stuff. Um, and, and, and again, like, would you rather have her pissed at you the day before the game or during the game? And the fact that you had that conversation prior—I mean, that—that's only going to help her and the team, even if it wasn't something that she wanted to wanted to hear.
1: Uh, and then you can. And what I did there in that case, and a lot of our coaches would do, is I texted her captain. So she was in a in our captains' council. They have units. So there's our captains. We have four of them. They look after. Players in the unit, I said, Hey, just had a difficult conversation with so and so. Reach out to her, check in on her, make sure she feels valued. You know, like you know what you need to do. You know what you need to do. You know what she needs better than I do. And that was really important, you know, because it's, it it doesn't, it can't just be on you. You need to get your leaders, you need to get leadership in the team. Support those players because they really, they do want to feel valued. They do want to feel important, and uh, so we were able to do that in that case. You know, absolutely, that's that's fantastic. And if as a coach, at
0: the very minimum, if you're not doing the how many minutes do you expect to play thing, I mean that has a lot of value right there. Um, You know, when I was coaching and we we handed out the forms and you add them up, it's like guys. There's 32 minutes in a high school game multiplied by five. It's 160 minutes we have to work with. We got like 240 minutes down on this, on this sheet. Like, so that, that yeah. allows us to now start to have this conversation uh, as a group and individually of how are some of these minutes going to break down? And you could meet the standards and work your tail off and do everything right. But if the player in front of you is essentially doing those same things and they're five inches taller and a heck of a lot faster and can shoot and all those things, they're just going to play. That's the, that's the way it goes. Um, What do you, do you have any advice for substitutions? This is a conversation that I've had with a handful of coaches and every coach seems to do things a little bit differently. Granted, every team is different as well, Um, but how have you, You know, found that coaches have been successful communicating how they substitute with their team.
1: Yeah, this is really important because this is where we're screwing up a lot
0: because it comes down to communication.
1: (laughs) Because one of the big complaints is coach pulls me out of the game anytime I make a mistake. And we're like, no way, you turned the ball over five times and I slept you in. You're like, but that's something that we keep hearing. And we keep getting going, well, kids are just, you know, they're delusional these days. Or we could say, you know what, maybe I can work to address this issue. So one of the ways that I, I really recommend is, is first off, you got to be clear. This comes down to when it comes to, you know, how you determine playing time. This is in this category. Why are we subbing someone off? We're subbing someone off because they need a breather. They need rest. We're subbing someone off because they're playing poorly. We're subbing someone off because their attitude or their behaviors are, are unacceptable. They're not meeting the standards of our program or subbing something off because they were on there to give someone else a breather. That's better than them. Right. And those are kind of like the four main reasons of why we're going to sub. And then it would not be like situational. Like there's a mismatch situation. So you might get those five things, something like that Foul trouble. Yeah. Some situational stuff. That's pretty complex. Now, if I sub you off and nobody talks to you high five, yeah, well done. You just subbed me off. I don't know why, you just told me I did a good job. So players, if they don't know the reason, if it, this is like anything in our lives, if we don't know the, the reason or we don't have a story, if you haven't told me, I'm going to create one. My brain has to have something. So I create a story in my head. And that story, that the stories that we tell ourselves in life, not just in playing time, are typically pretty negative, right? Like self talk Well, coach doesn't believe in me. Well, I made a mistake, you know? And it's just like, but that's not the reason why. And so we really encourage communicating with your players before you start playing games. In your playing time presentation with them, this is how we determine playing time. And this is also the reasons that you might be subbed off. And we'll let you know one of those five reasons. And so... This was really hard for me because due to the circumstance of COVID, I didn't have an assistant coach on, on the bench, you know, for a few of our games before we got shut down this year. So if you're just coaching by yourself, it can be challenging. Uh, but if you do have a staff, man, I, I observe staffs all the time. I go to the games, I watch my teams. The number one thing is I see them doing a lot of just pointless stuff. Like the coach is coaching, he's probably over-communicating because that's what most of us do is we over-communicate from the sideline. But all the staff's there and they're going crazy or yelling and they got their clipboard and they're taking stats that, you know, everybody gets on huddle or, or they're broken down after the game anyways. So, but, but like they have to have this sense of importance. You want to have a really, be really effective as a, as a, as a staff. Develop relationships with certain players. Each, each assistant coach should. And when that player comes off, they should notice it right next to you. And they sit down and first off, you should. You could ask, "Hey, why'd you come off?" Or you could just straight up tell them, "Hey, hey, you're only coming off, you know, uh, just to get a you know a couple minute break here because we need you to rest." Or hey, there's a big mismatch; we had to pull you off. Or hey, you know, you know, you're coming off because of your performance. But I also like to before you get to that, if if you have the staff and you have the time, the, the coaching staff should should ask them to review. Hey, review your play. How were you out there? And secondly, one of my other favorite questions is. What are you seeing out there? What are you noticing? So, you first off, you you kind of the player comes out, you start to empower them to first off reflect on their own performance and then give you feedback on what they're seeing that the team could be doing better or adjustments that could be made. And they're like, hey, do you know why you came off? And they should be able to state that reason uh, or you you should have to tell them. So, all of a sudden, uh, it becomes this really productive conversation where they're not left in the dark about why they came off. And secondly, not only that, but you're starting to teach them how to reflect, how to think about the game in that moment. That's gold right there. I mean,
0: that's, if you, if you're listening to anything that last five minute stretch was, I mean, that was really, really vital. I think information for us as coaches, empowering the player, asking them questions is always going to allow them to, reflect on what's going on and kind of internalize what, what's going on. Cause a lot of times if you ask them a question, they're going to give themselves a better answer than we probably could have communicated to them in the first place. You know, like how many times as coach and, and for me, even as a player development guy, if I'm working with a player on his or her shot, and I see that something is clearly wrong with their feet, I could point it out and tell them, or I could ask them questions about their balance and their positioning and all these things. And usually it'll take a little bit longer, but the answer that they come up with because it's theirs is usually is a lot better than what I would have told them. And it, and they remember it more because they're the one that came up with it. <laughs> so I mean, that, that's just really good, really good stuff. And then you mentioned the aspect about the assistants and I had a conversation with one of the coaches that I work with, And he was talking about some of his staff. And I I said, you know, it's almost like your, some of your assistants are more so like hype people, you know, they're rad and they're screaming and they're jumping up and down on the sideline, instead of doing the things that you had mentioned of actually communicating well with the players who are coming off, coming in. And man, there's a huge difference. If you have a staff who's doing one compared to
1: the other, I mean, that could be a difference in your whole season. Oh. Absolutely, and you bring up such a good point there when it comes to how we coach. I didn't remember this. there's this really amazing video on Twitter that went viral, and it's like, I don't know, it was like a guy for the Dallas Cowboys, I forget, and like the, one of the assistants is over there just laying into him on the sideline, just like this five-minute rant, this lecture to the player. And the player, and the player is just like head nod, yep, 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 yep everyone like retweets it. Oh, that's coaching. That's, that's way to be coachable. Look at this, like share this to your players. I'm like, that's not coaching. Like that's just lecturing and telling them what to do. You're not empowering them to think you're not empowering them to solve problems from those themselves. Like those interactions, like, I mean, I've done this. And so that's why I get upset about, or get fired up about it. Cause like I did this for years, but you just lecture your players. You don't engage them and they tune you out within 10 seconds, you know, If you have been doing a good job teaching them and you've done a good job simplifying the game, there shouldn't be any new information that you're giving them on that sideline. They should know all like the answers. They should be able to solve problems themselves. And you should empower them first by giving them the respect of asking that question and giving them the time to answer that question, to think about that. And that's where real learning will take place. If you can do that, that's huge. Um, but you go in there and just give give guys a lecture, tell them why they're pulled out. Yeah, you stunk. You, you turned the ball over four times. You gotta see the floor, man. You gotta see the floor. You gotta you gotta you know gotta work harder. You know you know you gotta try. You, know, you can't you can't keep throwing the ball away. Like like I, I kids are trying to throw the ball away. Like they're trying to turn the ball over. Like I and mean, we just do knuckleheaded things as coaches. And, and uh, I, I just yeah I think you're spot on there. We gotta be leading with questions is what I call it. We gotta lead with questions.
0: Yeah, I no that's, that's great stuff. The, another thing that you mentioned was clearly communicating and you're going to communicate, you got to have it in place already, a player improvement plan. Can you talk about that? I think that's really beneficial for coaches, not only in season, but when they're in the off season
1: as well. This is a really incredible way to make players feel valued. If you are intentional about this and coaching, oh, this is a lot of work. Either get a notebook, or for me in my case, a lot of my coaches, they use Google Docs and they'll share the file. You'll have like a, a separate file for each player. And every time you have a one-on-one with them, and most of the coaches I work with, I encourage bi-weekly or monthly, at least like a monthly. Uh, for my team, uh, it was monthly sit down to review. And, and, not, and that player improvement plan has a lot of details on maybe the front end, front page for them. Um, you know, just maybe it's certain statistics from the previous season or, you know, their shooting percentage or their certain goals that they've laid out. Um, just some details on them. But the real important piece is like the, the second page that you often share with your players, which is breakdown of where they are when it comes to tactical, maybe technical you know, athleticism, you know, like their conditioning, those type of things, like the things you value, uh, the type of teammate they are like, but areas for growth or things that they could continue to be working at. That's one of my favorites. Uh, And then there's commitments. Okay, what are they committed to doing to working on those things? So we like to have that in the improvement plan and you have a conversation with them and you ask them like, you know, tactically, you know, how how do you feel like your your decision-making is or whatever it is that you value. And you have a conversation, they offer their input, and you give them, well, this is what we see as a staff. And then you go to commitments. Okay. So if you want to have an improved role in this team, or you want to go play college, or you want to go to the NBA, like here, um, what are you committed to doing? You know, like, what are you committed to doing? Well, I'm going to get more shots up. Well, how many more shots? How often? You know, when are you going to do this? So they firm up those commitments. So you get commitments, areas for growth. I like to have in basketball, I'm really big on shot selection. So I like, roll and then shot selection and the shots that we want you to take really big on like not saying don't, 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 but it's like, go shoot as many of these as you can, because this is your shot. You're 55% plus on these two pointers. When you take these three pointers, you're 38 plus percentage, you know, so we want you to shoot those, but clearly putting that down now you have this and you kind of put it together with them and you can continuously make edits throughout the season. That's why we like Google Docs, but you can still use a notebook in the meeting. Once a month review that. Hey, how have you been doing on your commitments? You know, have we improved? Do we need to add things for areas for growth? How you could add to the team culture? You know, you review that document in that one-on-one and it doesn't take long. Like the one-on-one might take 15 minutes. You might do it at the end of the one-on-one five under five minutes. And you just kind of review, you check in on those things. And uh, a lot of coaches like to get them to sign it. I know that Chicago Cubs, you know, like Epstein brought that in. He's like, we had these detailed notes from our scouts about our players, but we're never sharing it with them. Like, what's the point of that? Like, and Epstein was like, no, we're going to bring them in there. We're going to have, we're all going to sign it. And then we're going to keep moving forward. Like, you know, so we have all these thoughts about where they could grow, like put it down on a paper. And then you get at the collegiate level and the high school level, you get the parents, you know, what the heck they're not playing. Well, this is what we've communicated they needed to do. And by the way, they haven't been doing these things that they said they needed to do and they weren't gonna do. So it becomes a thing that at the end of the day makes them feel valued because you're so intentional that you're writing these things down. And it could be the 12th man on your, on your roster, but you're taking 15 minutes and you got your pen out and you're going, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's add this. And you're like, we're invested in you. This is how you help people stay motivated. You look at motivation autonomy, mastery, and purpose, right? And, and I think a lot of times we're like, hey, be about the team, right? that purpose thing. Those are the three drivers of motivation. Well, we're always preaching that purpose, but that path to mastery, here you're giving them that path. You're giving them that training plan, that improvement plan. And that can be really, really beneficial for their buy-in, their motivation, and also for some difficult conversations down the road. This is, this is fantastic. The, and
0: what I loved is you talked about the consistency of that communication. How many times does it seem like, and I've been guilty of this too, is, hey, we had the conversation. We're all on the same page. We don't need to have it again, right? And it's a complete, you're, it doesn't have to be a long conversation, but you're reviewing this this plan, this strategy. And when it's done consistently, consistently leads to trust, right? How, how can we help other people gain trust in that relationship when we start to do it on a consistent basis, that's great. And we had uh, one of my mentors is Dave Boyce. He's one of the best coaches um, and he's still coaching in the state of Ohio. And he outlines with his players, essentially what you talked about with creating a, a player improvement plan and consistently touching on it throughout the course of the year. And he brings the parents into that conversation as well. So everybody's on the same page, everything's out there. and. He's been coaching for 30 plus years and there's very little issues with playing time among his team because everything's been clear. It's been honest. Statistics can back it up. The improvement plan of the work, you know, and and just when you're transparent, things become much easier to navigate. Um, And I think there'll be less things for you to uh, kind of those muddy, mucky waters to dig through if you're not doing those things. Does it take more time? Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is it going to be better in the, in the long run? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Coach, you, I love the fact that you've coached it uh, throughout the U.S. and overseas. Uh, that's really, really unique because we start to wrap up this episode. What's something that you've picked up internationally that you've taken away and now you're able to pass that on to some of the coaches that you work with in the U.S.?
1: Mm, that's a really great question. You know, I, I was fortunate in my experience to just coach a lot of teams and get a lot of um, head coaching experience that I would never have gotten had I I'd gone through like the traditional like, okay, I played at college, I'm going to go be a GA. And um, I, I guess I just, you know, this is maybe not what you're looking for, but I would just for people that listen to your podcast, uh, if you're an assistant, you know, go in a high school, go find, you know, the AAU team in the off season go find the youth team, go find the church league team, go find someone to go and coach yourself. And if you're a head coach, I, I, even when I was a head coach in Tennessee, I I tried to run academy teams in the off season, like to really coach teams. I call them academy because I didn't really want to travel around and do the AAU thing. I just, we'd play some local AAU tournaments once a month. And, but I got to go in and have a lab. And and I, I think, internationally, like what I see is coaches are really invested over here, maybe more so, and maybe that's just a stereotype, but like they're more so invested in developing their craft of coaching. And early on, I was really intentional for the first eight years of my coaching career and working on improving my hard skills, the technical, the tactical, the teaching, but the soft skills, they take time work on them as well. Like you have to be intentional. You have to grow at that. So I think you need a lab to do that though. I think mean, you can read a bunch of books and I know some great young guys that are just getting into coaching and like, oh, JP, I've read all the books. I've done all this. I'm doing that. I'm like, yeah, but you haven't coached anybody. You haven't led anybody. You got to, you have to have a lab to try that out in. Um, so go find teams, especially when they're not high pressure situations. So if you're a varsity coach, you can go, maybe try to coach the, um, you know, local team in the off season, so that you can get some more. Hey, let's try this out. Let's try these new things, you know, out so we'll see how our players respond. So I think it's about finding a lab to to go and to experiment at developing developing those skills.
0: I love that, and that was, you know, I had the chance to coach for two years uh, overseas with kind of some younger high school aged. Uh, boys for two of my four years when I was over there and during my time as a player and as a coach (laughs) development was the word and then you you said it when I asked you the question I just felt like over there a lot of the coaches seem to value and, and this isn't overall true and there's a ton of million great coaches in the U.S. as well but the overall emphasis on development over the result was something that I really benefited from and learned from a lot of coaches overseas there was just so much about this the process of just let's get a little bit better let's get a, bit, a little bit better instead of here's how we're going to win the league or here's how we're going to win the next game um, there's just a ton of value in that and then development in the long run those players end up getting better results better results anyway <laughs> um coach what's One last piece of advice that you would give to any coach, whether they're, you know, a junior high coach, a high school coach, college coach, international coach, um, as they try to, you know, manage uh, a group of young men or young women who are becoming the person that they're going to be. They want to make a positive impact in their life while also uh, having a successful, whatever that looks like for you, basketball team and program.
1: Yeah. I'd say this. I'd say that for years, we've talked about unacceptable behaviors. You know, when we're below the line, as, you know, Urban Meyer calls about it, just things that are not meeting our standards when it comes to those behaviors. And obviously, there's a big push in coaching and teaching to start seeing mistakes that students make or players make in the court. Hey, that's an opportunity to learn. Let's help teach them. Or they're not a very, they don't have a great left hand. That's an opportunity. Okay, I can help work with him on his left hand. Well, behaviors, character is the same thing. We need to start seeing those unacceptable behaviors as mistakes. We need to see them as opportunities to help them develop their character, just like we would try to develop any other aspect of them. Because that is where they are. And too often when players are not doing what we want them to do, we just see them as a problem. A problem to get where we wanna go this season, to win games, to have a great team culture. When players are acceptable or exceptional, they're hard workers, oh, we see them as a vehicle that's gonna help us to go where we wanna go. But we need to take a step back and we just need to see the person and see that they struggle with certain things. We all struggle with things within our own character. And this journey, it starts with us. It starts with us focusing on, first off, our heart. How do we see others? How do we view other people? And and secondly, are we working on our own character so that we're going on this journey to improve our behaviors uh, and and the way that we're leading? um, And we're doing that in a way that's respectful of everyone in our program. So that would be my biggest encouragement is to start seeing discipline issues as just mistakes. Okay. That's an opportunity for me to help that young man or that young woman because they're struggling with something. And, and if we can make that shift, we will get a lot less angry <laughs> when they do that. because we just say that's who they are. that's where they are, that's what they're struggling. They feel that. You know that's what the way they feel. you know And, and we have to acknowledge it. It doesn't make that behavior ex- acceptable. We just our understanding of it. And if we can just be understanding of it, then we can step in there and then we can start to build relationships with the person and and, and really connect with them. And then we can push them, we can challenge them, we can do really hard coaching, but only when we've, when we've established that, that proper heart posture towards them. Once we got that heart posture in place, then we can come in, then we can coach hard. Then we can challenge them and, and hold them accountable at different moments.
0: No, that's... That's, I uh, love it. The, the heart posture and how we, how we look at um, other people as individuals, as people, instead of just athletes and vehicles to get from point A to point B and, and being able to look at ourselves. What are our, what's our attitude? What do, what do we value? What are our beliefs? What are our behaviors? What does that look like with us first? And then that gives us an opportunity to see Well, am I modeling those behaviors that I want to see? If I'm not, well, how can I start pointing out all these things among and many times young teenage people, right? I want to look, look inward first. That's awesome stuff, coach. I appreciate it. Um, We should be friends for sure. I like uh, this is good Um, coach. Could you tell us a little bit more of about yourself where our listeners can learn more about you or find you online?
1: Yeah, I'm, uh, every Monday I hop on Twitter. So I only check it once a week, but it's at JP JPNurbin, uh, you, you know, I, I have tweets that go out all over the week, but I'm not really on it that much. So the best way to, you can follow me there if you want to kind of experience some of my content. But if you want to reach out to me and connect with me, my, my recommendation would be to email me at jp nurbin N-E-R-B-U-N, at ThriveOnChallenge.com. Um, or you go over to ThriveOnChallenge.com to learn more. Um, there are some free stuff that I offer there, multiple PDFs that you can get your hands on on playing time and just you know, leadership systems, loads of free stuff that you can get your hands on there. And I have a, a newsletter I send out every week. Um, also I have some online courses that are on Coach2, but the links are there on thriveonchallenge.com. So Captain's Council system, there's a playing time system, it's an hour-long course with loads of resources, Google Forms, docs. All those things like the, 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 the all the stuff we talked about in greater detail, activities to do with your team, um, as well as the competitive cauldron, which is another big thing we use a lot of our teams, you know, to, to measure practice performance and, and, and helps the playing time con- issues as well. So, um, you know, you can find out about that. and You also find out about just kind of the culture coaching and mentorship services they offer to a lot of coaches and, and leaders out there.
0: Fantastic! I'll be sure to put uh, coaches' information in the description and the show notes below. And JP, I just want to acknowledge you. What you're doing is is a big deal. It's it's vital. It's it's important. And um, I want to wish you the the very best as you continue to to work and foster so many positive relationships with coaches who then are able to do that with a lot of young people throughout the world. That's uh, that's an amazing thing that you're doing. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Um, and and I hope you're you're coaching in Ireland again uh, very soon. So thanks again for being on the Coach's Edge podcast.
1: Thanks, brother. Appreciate you.